So uh, this is the inaugural podcast. I'll introduce myself first. Uh, my name is Matt Geyer. You know me because we're family. We say you, you're talking to me, not the audience. The audience is not your family. No, the audience is not my family. <laughs> uh, I'm talking to you right now, Jay Pevlin, because the audience can't talk back to me. I guess I'm used to recording by myself. Whenever I say you, I'm talking about the audience. In, in this context, I'm talking to you, Jay Pevlina, not the audience, which there okay. could be tens of people listening. So I, I'm your cousin, second cousin, however we want to... We, we grew up near each other and, and hung out. And, and once we got older, we ended up having a lot in common. Just a little bit about myself outside of my connection to you. I am a programmer by trade, um, so that's kind of another connection. I, I work on code. Um, I don't do game programming, but I'm interested in it, and I do a lot of research on it, and eventually I'll get to it. Um, right now I work on as a, I'm a full-stack developer, web full-stack. I work in .NET and C-sharp, so if people do Unity or stuff like that, that's C-sharp, so I'm, kinda, I'm pretty familiar with that. If you want to introduce yourself for people in case this is their first listen... I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, my name's Jay Pavlina. Um, I first got into this whole game development thing uh, when I made Super Mario Crossover, which was in well, it was released in April of 2010, almost like eight years ago now, and uh, just kind of stuck with game development since then. And I'm self-taught. Uh, my background is actually in filmmaking. And at the time, I just like wanted to try something different, so tried making a game, and the game was really popular, you know, because it had uh, characters from a lot of different games, and and yeah, just kind of trying to have a successful game development business since then, and just do it the best I could, going with the flow. Sure, um, that actually takes us into the first topic a little bit, and you, you've already started to cover this, but like. How did you get into coding? How did you <clears throat> get the idea to even do Super Mario Brothers crossover? And, and how did it kind of evolve over time? Actually, the most uh, specific memory is uh, it was actually an April Fool's joke in one of the Nintendo Power. I can't remember what their cheat section was called, but they had like a, a section where they would devote like four pages a month to like cheats. Was it, was it classified information? It might have been. I was thinking it might have been yeah. classified. I think you're right. Yeah. But yeah, they had this this screenshot that showed uh, Simon Belmont in Ninja Turtles 2, I think. And I thought it was real. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I know that there was like some April Fool's things. I always was taken by um, Electronic Gaming Monthly's uh, yeah. like April Fool's. I remember they did uh, Sonic in Smash Brothers Melee. And I was oh. like... It was like you had to do all these crazy things, and I remember going through and and trying forever to do yeah. that, and I, I did it, and then it was like there was nothing. It was just a April Fool's, which is surprising how often that actually happened because everybody knew like EGM did an April Fool's prank every year, so should have should have known. Yeah, I mean I was really young when I saw this Nintendo Power thing, so like I I had no idea that it was a joke. But yeah, I also just like tried forever <laughs> to like get it to work. And I was like, this code is wrong. You know, this code doesn't work. Like, 
I hope they like fix it or whatever and tell me how to really get it to work. And did you ever call the uh, Nintendo Power tip line? No, because that costs a lot of money. It was a lot of money. <laughs> I'm sure I like asked my friends and my brothers about it, but I don't really remember what they said. But nobody told me it was a joke. That's for sure. And uh, maybe that's what put the idea in my head. I don't know. I mean, that's a good story. I had to just go with it. Say like, oh, I remember when I was a kid and this is exactly, and I, I knew when I was an adult, this is exactly what I would do. Yeah, it's just the idea of like breaking rules. <laughs> I guess I like the idea in real life too, but um, <laughs> in games, you know, games are like a, you know, like a little piece of software that has its own rules. It's almost like its own little universe. And I just always like the idea of just like, doing what you're not supposed to do in games so i was a big fan of game genie also oh yeah that was super cool it was weird how like as a kid i had no idea mechanically how it worked so like having this thing that could just give you infinite lives or let you fly it was just like this amazing little box that could bend the game yeah i love the like i love the ones that let you jump high (laughs) yeah I don't know what's up with me, but I'm, like, obsessed with jumping in games. Like, if you can't jump in a game, like, I just get mad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably from the era of when we played games. I mean, I started playing games roughly around the same time you started playing games, and everything was basically a 2D platformer. So, like, jumping was the mechanic that was, like, the sole mechanic almost. Yeah, I remember when I played uh, Super Mario RPG, I was like, finally, I can jump in an RPG. And I was just, like, so happy because I just wanted to jump in, in like, Final Fantasy or, like, Chrono Trigger. Yeah, so do you think, like, even if it doesn't give you any benefit, you still want to jump? Like, even if, like, you just hop around, even if you, like, can't get over things or it doesn't mechanically change the game? I mean, as a gamer, yes, I do want to. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not sure if I do as a game developer (laughs) because, uh... You know, you're supposed to, like, design everything with purpose. But if it's, like, fun, then, you know, just put it in the game. That was kind of my whole philosophy of Super Mario Crossover. It's just, if it's fun, let's do it. No, I agree. And it turned out, I mean, you got a lot of press for it. People responded to it. They they felt like, oh, man, this breaks everything open. This thing that I think everybody wants to do because those characters are so iconic, like, really go through a game and have all the mechanics intact for that specific character resonates and that's what makes that game special you know just because there isn't really and i can't really think of another game that lets you like play i tried to make it so that you like take the character out of their world and put them into this other world sure and usually you know if a game will have like a crossover or a guest character like especially if you think about something like a fighting game you know they'll do like a like street fighter cross Tekken or mm-hmm. or they'll have like all the Capcom people fight or whatever um, like those characters are then adapted for a fighting game and even in Smash Brothers you know they're uh, Smash Brothers does, has more leeway where they kind of give the characters more of their original moves but like they're usually adapted um, for that specific game and you you like have to do that for to a certain extent but I always wanted to do that as little as possible. That's kind of what I was thinking, actually, when you were mentioning that is, is I remember when Smash Brothers came out, like that was the whole thing is like seeing these characters 
um, from all these disparate universes like come together, even if it was like a fighting game and the mechanics were strong outside of just the characters, just seeing these characters interact in a world um, was just a, a, a refreshing thing. And I think a lot of people wanted that. Um, and, and you're right with the Street Fighter and, and Tekken and uh, some of the Marvel versus Capcom, Street Fighter versus Marvel and, and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's a compelling concept and I think it does, um, it does work. It's really hard to do if like the characters don't already exist sure that's that's what i learned <laughs> from uh you know trying to make an original game based on that yeah because they already have their their move sets defined and so it's just tweaking them in the new world whereas now you're you're coming up with completely new characters so their mechanics are influenced by this crossover game what i kind of like about liked about working on super mario crossover was just like thinking back on it it almost feels like a puzzle because I would just be like, you know, oh, I think this character's cool. I would like to play as this character in Super Mario Brothers. And then I would just be like, well, how do I do that? And I would just kind of work backwards from there, you know, initially just put them in like exactly as they are in their own game, you know, as much as I can. And then I would just kind of adjust them to make them, I don't know, just a little bit more fun and less annoying. So you had never done, had you ever done programming before that or anything I guess I sort of did. I usually tell people I didn't, but there was a little tiny bit uh, where I actually made a Flash website Okay. at one point. Uh, like back when I was doing filmmaking, I had like, I don't know, like a hundred or something short films and I wanted to put them on the internet. So I made, and back then, you know, Flash was like the cool hip thing. That's um, the way you made the interactive web basically. Yeah, you got to do, like, more stuff with it. So I did, like, do a little bit of programming in that Flash website that I just hosted my videos on. So it was just a little bit. It was, And that was also action script. So is that how you, you went? Because Super Mario Brothers crossover is programmed in Flash um, using action script. Action script 3, yes. Is that how you chose that, like, environment? Was just because you had some familiarity with it? Or was there a, a broader... Uh, decision-making process that brought you into that i wanted people to be able to play the game in their web browser um so you had flash cho- or action script 3 chosen and you wanted to do that how did you go about figuring out how to go and make a game was there any resources you went into because it's like it's not intuitive um, no, it's not to do that <laughs> <laughs> i remember exactly what was the first thing i made for the game and it was a single screen with a green rectangle for the ground and I had Mario just like one Mario sprite I had him stand on the ground and I could move him like left and right and then uh, when I pressed the jump button <laughs> he would he would just like fly because <laughs> I didn't know how to pro- I didn't know how to program like gravity or anything so like when I would hold the button he would rise and when I would let go he would fall <laughs> And that was like the game. So it was just like <laughs> every frame, it was just incrementing his like Y yeah. position. His position, yeah. No, uh, no like actual velocity or anything. But I remember being like so excited about that. I was like, I am the greatest programmer <laughs> in the world. I made Mario rise and fall. <laughs> it's exciting. Like getting that, you know, that time to like inception of idea to like first thing on the screen. Like that's really exciting to see that first thing, even if it isn't 
like something moving, just whatever you, we get painted on the screen. Like that's an exciting moment. And this was before like, there was like unity. I mean, I think, I can't, I don't even know if it existed or not, but like there weren't like easy to use game engines like there are now. So it was a lot more work just to get something simple on the screen. Whereas now you can just kind of download a game engine and like press play and there'll be like a demo scene with, I don't know, like physics stuff happening. Yeah, there's a lot of asset flips now in the Steam store where they kind of just take those demos and yeah, that's a big problem. Sell right them. <laughs> yeah, it is a problem. It's totally different the landscape now from if you started. I don't remember. I remember you talking to me about it um, like early, early on when it was just like I, I think I want to make a game. Yeah, I remember. I remember that too. We were at a, we were at a campfire. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think my sister graduated from high school. I was like, I think I want to make a game with like. A bunch of characters in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah. My sister's a doctor now. That's how much time has passed before, like, since that has happened. It's been a while. Yeah. And, yeah, I thought it was an interesting idea then, and it's it still is. And, and between then and now, like, yeah, you have Unity, you have Unreal Engine, which Unreal Engine is incredible, what you can do with very little. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you can connect things. It's, like, graphical now. You don't even have to like write code for a lot of stuff. So you got Mario moving up and down with just the press of a button. But yeah, the the point I was making there is like, like back then, just like, well, that was actually probably like nine or 10 years ago. Cause it took me a while to make the game, mm-hmm. but just doing it was a huge accomplishment because it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't as easy as it is now. It's all like all that, you know, all that was hard coded. There was no like, li- I didn't even use any libraries or anything. And that's how I did the whole game. I didn't even know that you could like download code libraries. I didn't really even know how that worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're teaching yourself coding, um, I can imagine that is an entirely different world, um, having to pick that up and not knowing these, these resources that you end up learning if you, if you end up taking classes and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's also way more tutorials now than there were back then. Because I actually mostly learn from books, whereas now I learn from, like, videos or just on, like, Stack Overflow or something. Yeah, I think that that is the the secret that people don't tell you about programming is, like, yes, there are good programmers, but a lot of programming is trying to figure something out and searching for it. And then, like, if you have an issue going to Stack Overflow where someone has, has figured that out. You just, like, grab their code. And you're like, all right, I'm done. grab some extension methods (laughs) yeah exactly it's not yes being a programmer means knowing how to utilize that stuff but there are a lot of problems that people have already solved and they're kind of sticky sometimes um and so having that ability to go out there is, is massive sea change from even when i started programming i started learning in high school and it was a totally different world yeah i mean it it changes fast uh especially now it's always like accelerating Mm-hmm. So you got to stay on top of it, be able to adapt to things as they change. Um, so you got Mario jumping. Um, well, flying, really. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you control his, his flight. Right. Was there a lot, anything that you, you picked up along the way of, of getting that, like any road bumps or things that you like big ones you can think of i know it was like a while ago so it's probably not fresh in your mind well i can tell you two things uh one thing is like once i understood what a game loop was i was like that is 
awesome. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just like when you understand how a game is programmed, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. It's a loop. Right. You know, it's like the game, like that's how you do time in programming. Because when you're not a programmer, it's like you don't know anything. You're like, I don't know. You're like, I see some letters on the screen. And you're like, I don't know what these do. I don't know how to do anything. Like, you don't know how to make stuff move and or how to, like, capture input and all that. And then when you realize it's a loop, you're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, I got it. <laughs> right, right. Just that, like, idea to me was, like, so amazing. I don't know. I still find it, like, I don't know, beautiful in a way. Because, I mean, I guess, you know, that's how life would be simulated, too. It's like... You know, it keeps looping over itself and things change in between each interval. The resolution of that interval will change like how accurate things are. I don't know, there's just so many like interesting things and I just think the whole idea of the game loop is just so cool. No, I think that that kind of is among so many things of what games are, like learning that basic concept of how engines work. Like that's a huge thing. And they, there's some abstractions on top of that where uh, things like don't exist in that loop like you can put them off to the side in a different thread or anything like that but um, like that is what a game is like wh- what updates on that and I think that's kind of what separates a game from like an app or something because like it's not like a website like you're just like reading something it's like there's no loop there it's I mean I guess the, you know there's rendering loops and all that but like the loop isn't the core whereas with the game like everything is based off of that loop like that's where you update everything and i just think that's so cool i think that's why like personally like why i like programming and why like games in particular because since this is how did we get into coding i'll pivot this just a little bit i don't think people give a crap about where i got into coding but one of the the reasons i did get into computers and, and programming is video games when i saw them i was like these are crazy cool like i love video games and then um, I remember my dad telling me like, well, you know, that's a computer. And I was, I, I it was like so disconnected for me because it didn't have a keyboard. So yeah. I just in my like kid brain didn't picture that this thing was a computer. So when I learned that, that was like off to the races. Like I was into computers after that. And then learning programming and learning how games could work, like that still fascinates me because I think so much of what video games do influence the entire tech and programming industry outside of of games and i think you see that time and time again with um like graphics cards and stuff like that like now they're used for so many different things gpus because they have all these floating point units but originally they were made so you could render polygons on the screen and play video games better than a cpu rendering it alone and so like that's what still fascinates me that's why i still like reading I, I read tons and tons of postmortems and stuff like that on how these people solve these challenges in in games especially with limited resources like how they went about it is is fascinating it's kind of nice having limited resources <laughs> in some ways like there's good and bad things about it the good thing about the way things are now is like one person can make a game that would have taken like an entire team in like the Nintendo era it's one of the biggest things I learned is like limitations are sort of a blessing in a way. They kind of help you to think creatively because because then you're like, well, what can I do to push these limits to their maximum? If you're trying to do like what I do, which is like Nintendo games, it's like the limits have already been surpassed. 
it does it puts a little bit more pressure on you where you have to be like super creative whereas before the creative part might have been breaking the limitations i absolutely agree with the the limits thing um i think that working within limits brings out creativity even if they're artificially imposed um I, I think it's like either put a time limit on it or like I want to make it in this file size or I want to do it like I think Shovel Knight uh, they did a thing where they wanted to use an NES palette but just a little bit more so they put these artificial things in there um, even in the resolution they wanted to kind of what would an, a widescreen NES be like that was what they did so putting these artificial things on it gives the game a style but it also like forced them to work in these this like tiny space so like their sprites had a very specific look but they could have done it in like 4k it didn't matter like that was an artificial limit that they imposed upon themselves i'm just saying like especially if you're new get some limits because they 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 will save you is there anything else that you'd want to say about super mario brothers crossover okay well i didn't i didn't tell you the second thing tell me the second thing i don't even remember what the question was but I remember what I was going to say. The question was like, did you experience any like major um, speed bumps, road bumps along the way? The other one was about just how programming is done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't know anything. I mean, I think they had like tutorials that you could download and you could like have a sample project, but like they weren't that like advanced or anything. And a lot of the ones I would download would just have like one file. And the biggest challenge for me was like, how do I have code in like more than one file? <laughs> <laughs> and to like make it work. So I will say like, it sounds probably to both of us now like that as a, uh, everybody does that, like that you have to do that to keep it. Yeah, I mean, it, so- it, it sounds ridiculous now. It's not trivial. It was it was the idea of like how like how do you like I knew how to have like one class in one file and another class in another file, but I was like how do I get these two classes to communicate with each other? Like how do I send data from like one class to another? And I just remember that being so confusing. I was like, do I just make like one class that has like all these global variables and like that's kind of what I did because I didn't know what I was doing. Um. And I just kind of kept getting more advanced as I went along, but I just had a class called Glob Vars because <laughs> I also abbreviated everything back then. I don't I don't abbreviate anymore. Yeah, you don't have to. Compilers will take care of it. But yeah, I was like Glob Vars, you know, stands for global variables, and I had a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like that is kind of one of the my my rubs against a lot of programming tutorials. Even now, is like it'll be like start your first project. Here's a hello world. Okay, now we're gonna go on to something crazy advanced, and you like the the ramp up is, is too steep. Um, yeah. It, and there's a lot of techniques that you should learn around the along the way, just for proper programming technique, or at least something that um, will help you later down the line. Because the more you take shortcuts, the harder it is to debug. And totally, totally. Object oriented programming was a huge thing back then. It's like all everyone talked about and like every book I read, it's like object-oriented programming. You must use object-oriented programming. Well, for people that don't know what that is, it's it's a hierarchy. So you'll have, let's say you have an animal class and you got all these different kind of animals. You got like a zebra, you got a dog, a cat, a lion. Right. (laughs) 
and all these classes inherit from uh, animal. And then you put like all your code, like you put a lot of the code that they all share in animal. Right. So like all animals have a weight. So weight would be in the animal class. And so you keep getting more specific as you go down. But then your classes are all like based on this class at the top. And so what I did was like, I had this class called level object and like everything was a level object. And like, I had so much stuff in that class. And like, then I would have like, you know, I would have like enemy, enemy is a level object. And then Goomba is an enemy. Sure. Just the code was so messy. I mean, now I use composition. Yeah. Like I use a component based design where now like the code is more segmented into little parts. When you were saying you had like a level object and things got messy, uh, part of it is figuring out where to draw those lines. That is not an intuitive process. And there's no like book that's going to tell you like this is how you should segment everything. It is um, something that changes as you go along. Like that's kind of what makes it so hard to get to the first product or the first release is things change all the time as it grows. I mean, because you you have to have some, like you have to start with some kind of architecture for your code. There's like there's no way to have no architecture is what I'm saying. So like you have to start with something. Sure. And then as you go, you might realize like, uh, you know, it's taken forever for me to do this because I set up my code this way. And then if you're doing a small project, you don't really care as much if your code sucks. It's always that tech debt thing too, because like you you can put it off and you're gonna have to fix it later, you know, but you need to get this thing done or it's not that important. And so like, do you pay that now or do you pay that later? Yeah, yeah, you're right. That that's the the right terminology. I never actually I never actually thought of it as paying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is actually. You're paying time. <laughs> I'll ask you this. I don't know if you have anything. Is there any updates going on at Exploding Rabbit that you can talk about? Any teases? Any anything? Uh, the focus of Exploding Rabbit right now is it's kind of a reboot. So I'm sure people kind of saw that I was uh, I was experimenting with having a community manager for a little while, um, just to kind of see uh, what that would be like. Yeah, the reason I was experimenting with the community manager is because we do have or it's just me, really. I have a lot of... <laughs> it's sad. But anyway... Exploding Rabbit Industries. <laughs> yeah. Exploding Rabbit uh, has... Uh, we do, or I do, whatever. Have a lot of stuff um, coming pretty soon. Pretty soon. We got, like, a... We have a WebGL game coming. Cool. After that, there's also going to be a game development tool that I'm releasing. Cool. So that's kind of a new thing for me, and I didn't really like plan that, uh, but it just kind of happened. And sometimes uh, you just kind of got to go with what happens. I think the editor could be really, really interesting. I mean, what do you think about that? Like you, you were mentioning that this would be having like game developers as the you know the people using the product. So I think it's a it's a really good idea because even recently i've been thinking on this because like if you think about the really big games that have come out and have transformed things and i'm not saying that your game is going to do that but like like doom and quake and starcraft and um 
Duke Nukem 3D, like they all had level editors that shipped with the game or you could acquire them to make mods and do stuff with. And that meant the developers had to develop tools that were so intuitive that they could release them to the public. And I think that puts you in a different mind space because you can create tools that'll do stuff for you, um, be it like a tile editor or like an animation thing or something to help out art, uh, like an art team who doesn't know programming to get their art into the game. But it's like they'll develop it just enough so it works. It's not like something that you'd want other people outside the team to use because it's stubborn and it's like maybe command line. So, So getting a tool that is actually ready for public release, um, I think it's gonna help you out later on in general, because if it's good enough for the public, it's good enough for you to use easily. Well, I don't think that alone is a good reason though, because if it was just for me or like just for people I work with, there would be a lot of stuff that I don't add to it because they're like just convenience features. That's kind of my point though. Like, yes, you would create like this tool that it doesn't have stuff in it, but it's like later down the line, this is something you can reuse for the next game or the next thing. So you create like a base of tools that are actually like battle tested. I was hoping that people will use it. Like if I released it and like nobody uses it, <laughs> then I would be kind of upset because it's been a lot more work than I was hoping and was expecting. Uh, before I thought you were saying that like it could put exploding rabbit into like a different field in a way it can i mean depending on what this because i think you're purposely not talking about what it is so like i won't mention it this is an editor i mean it's i don't mind talking about the editor i think that if you're finding a tool that like there's a a niche or a space that is not currently filled i think that people will go to that because there that is something that is i think lacking or if it's like it's shown that there are a lot of people who want that. Like if you look at what came out with Game Maker and Unreal and Unity, like there's the Unity Asset Store, like that's a big one where these tools that help people along in making games, they might not necessarily be there. And because you've already been down in the development of a game, this is a, a area that you found that isn't being serviced right now. Yeah, and the cool thing is that I'm actually developing it in tandem with a game. So like it has exactly the features that I need to make the game that I'm making, but the editor itself is generic, so it can be used for anything. Um, I mean, for any game, like it's not like it's for the game I'm making, but it has the features that make it easy to make, you know, like uh, 2D sprite-based games. Yeah, I'm sort of curious to see like what happens with it. I think that that's kind of where I was going. I, I use like those level editors as an example, but I think I was reading that like John Romero made um, a program that they ended up using for Wolfenstein and Doom that they like used on Commander Keen, like for a totally different game. It was just like they made this tool that helped them in this one specific instance, but it had applications outside of just what uh, that okay. game was. Yeah. Um, and it was just like a really well-made tool Whereas a lot of development tools are kind of throwaway or like one project specific. Like I wasn't originally planning it to be like easy to use. Like (laughs) that's kind of like, like I wasn't personally making it hard to use, but like I was actually just making it for, uh, for one person, for the animator that I work with. But then I kind of saw the potential of it. And I realized that 
there was a feature that I needed that I just, multiple features that I needed that I just couldn't find. Because it was originally just an animation tool. But then I started adding in these other features that I couldn't find anywhere, like palette swapping and palette editing. Like tools just exclusively for creating palettes and for swapping them and animating them. Uh, when I tell people it has that, you know, people seem interested because they're like, well, I don't there's no other tool I know that does that. But it's actually sort of its own ecosystem because it, it also allows you to um, just store like generic data. Um, it has its own like data format and stuff like that. And it exports JSON. So it's like super easy to use and, you know, compatible with any game engine. I think that that is something where like, when I think we were first talking about it, that is probably something that more developers do need that there's not a tool for that you will find. I wonder if developers, when they see it, they'll realize like, I've always wanted this, but I didn't know that I wanted it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's a good thing. I think that's uh, it's definitely a different thing that you've been working on from the past because it's not game. It's not specifically a game. Um, so I'm interested to actually see it released. Um, I, I know, I'm sure there's there's not a time frame for it right now, but... I'm trying to release this game first. Yeah. And I was going to kind of, while people are playing that, I was going to clean up the editor. I'm going to put it on itch.io. Yeah, I, I love itch.io. I think it's, it's a fantastic service. Um, it's where all the cool things are happening right now. Uh, I think the editor will have a nice home there. Because, like, Tiled is really... Like, tons of people use Tiled. There's nothing, like, magical about Tiled. It's just a tool that lets you create tile maps. My editor is sort of the same thing. It actually has a tile mapping feature, although mine won't be as specialized as that. But then mine does a lot of other stuff. But when people ask me about it, I just tell them it's, like, Tiled, but you can do more stuff than just Tiles. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Because people, like, I don't even know what to call it or, like, how to describe it. It's, like, it's a tool that exports data for your game that you can edit and create in like a graphical user interface. Put that on the box. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to switch to something that's not related to game dev, but just talk about like any games you've been playing recently, anything that's caught your eye, anything that's you found like pretty enthralling in the game realm uh, recently. The last game I played was Persona 5. You ever played that? I played Persona 4 back in the PS2 days, and I really liked that game when it came out. Uh, but I have not had a chance to play the fifth one yet. Yeah, I mean, I was totally new to the series, but like it really blew me away. Uh, just with the way that they do the art and like the music, the style in that game is just mind-blowing. I think from what I've seen in videos and, and playthroughs, uh, it has the best art style of like most any game out there. But the thing that's special about it is it's so cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything works together, all of the art, uh, the soundtrack, even the menus. Yeah, actually the menus got a lot of praise because of how they look. Yeah, I just I, when I play that game, I feel like I'm like in an art piece like even if you don't like the game like just being in the game just like having the game on like just makes me happy i think that that's a testament to like really well thought out ui design which i think takes a back seat in a lot of areas because um there's so much going on with games that 
that probably is not the top priority. Like you want to get your your performance right. You want to get your mechanics right. You want to get the story right if there's a story. Um, but the UI, like that t- tends to not get a lot of attention. So something that actually puts that as a, a primary factor in the game, like it, it looks incredible. And it, it, that's why I think something as banal as a menu picked so many people's, uh, piqued their interest. Like even in the game, when you just like go to buy stuff, like you're like, you're like, this is amazing. I guess you you probably haven't seen what I'm talking about. Yeah, just bits and pieces. Like there's two places where you can buy things. Like there's this guy that you buy guns from and just like the screen like turns like bright green and there's like these really strong like blacks and whites used with it. And then like every time you press on a thing to open up a sub menu, like the whole like camera will shift perspective and there'll be like all these effects put over it to make you feel like you're in like a comic book and the music the way it works together it it blows my mind like i didn't think just buying stuff from a shop could be like so cool making me want to play it more i'm gonna have to pick it up yeah i mean even if you don't finish it like everyone should just play that game maybe beat like the first dungeon or something like just because the fighting is also just you get tired of it after a while you know because it's it's a jrpg and there's sure it's grindy they're not random battles, but yeah, it's turn-based, which can be fun for a little while, but you know, you get tired of it. Just like the presentation and everything, it, it's so good. It's the best I've ever seen in a game, for sure. Yeah, I will I will pick it up, and for anybody listening out there, you should also pick it up if you haven't. Yeah, I didn't actually finish it because it's so long. That's what I hear. It's so long, uh, and I really tried like I really tried to finish it but I was just like I cannot justify my time on this anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am with a lot of games. Like I have like a list of games that I have to get through and I've I've made a hard list this year of like things that I've been putting off just not playing and beating um and I have been like religiously sticking to that list and not and not going outside it. Yeah, I mean there's not enough time. Absolutely. So what I've been playing recently, like off of that list, uh, I started, or I'm starting to finish uh, The Last of Us. I know it's like an older game. A little, little behind there. <laughs> I'm very behind. Almost no time to play games anymore. You got the, the remake? or? So I have both the remake and the PS3 one. What's been striking me about the game, aside from the story, which is incredibly well written, um, combat's okay like it's nothing like great yeah but the environments and the attention to detail and what they're able to push out of the ps3 which is really why i'm playing it on the ps3 is like blowing my mind because when that system came out 2006 like thinking about 2006 to 2013 and what they can actually push out of hardware that is unchanged like since it since it came out um is just like from a technical perspective blows my mind. So I've been enjoying that trying, like I've been taking it slow and like looking around because everything has like a detailed texture. All the environments are thought through. Uh, the foliage looks incredible. Like even the animation, like you, you're crouching down and like, you'll go up to a barricade or a door and Joel will put his hand like on the barricade as you move. And it's like those little things. Everybody talks about that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's, it's just 
crazy. Well, I mean, like Drake does that too. In Uncharted. Yeah, so I haven't played any of the Uncharted games, so oh, I wouldn't. They they use their same tech. Yeah, I'd imagine that they there's probably some a lot or a lot of stuff that's borrowed in terms of like. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like other games don't do that. It's that little bit that that makes the difference, that makes them feel like real people. And uh, one another thing that they like always talk about, or I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but like if you're uh, if you got Ellie and she's in cover near you, mm-hmm. like Joel will actually like put his arm like around her, like he's protecting her. Right. Have you seen that? Yes. Like all of that is like it, it just it elevates it, and, and I understand why more games don't do it because it's so time consuming to sit there and and program all these little animations and when to trigger that and and when to do that. You got to blend them. Blending is complicated. Exactly. Uh, and again, how they managed to make this work on a PS3, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, they've been working like exclusively with. Uh sony consoles for a while now right yeah they since she's ever i think they did i don't know if they've ever released anything on a different console uh because they're a first party studio yeah i mean i guess if you stick with with one thing you get really good at it because like i know uh, uh santa monica studio like they do some really good stuff too where you're like man how does this look so good they have the new god of war game coming out i believe that's santa monica probably um, from what I, if it's not, it's somebody that is a first party studio that, uh, that game looks really incredible too. My favorite God of War game is God of War 2, and this is by the same director, so I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and they're trying to play off, I think, a similar tone with, uh, a dad and a sibling-like person. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I I'm actually thinking that the, the reason that a lot of this has happened, so you had game developers coming up, and now a lot of them have family. So yeah. now, like, they're pulling off of, like, oh, I'm a dad, I have kids, and yeah, I'm going to incorporate that experience into Yeah, you're it. totally right. I never thought of it <laughs> that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you make games about what you know. Right. So, yeah, I'm playing through that. I'm having... Uh, it's it's not an uplifting game. So, like, I'm not having, like, a good time by going through this story. Dude, have you uh, have you heard about the ending? Like, I'm not going to spoil it. Yes, I've heard about the ending. Oh, you got spoiled already? I got it spoiled. Dude, the ending of that game is insane. Yeah. Even if I got ex- spoiled, like, bleeding up to that moment is going to be different than me just hearing about it. So, I'm not too concerned. Yeah, that actually made me like the game way more. Because um, I was actually starting to get, I don't know. I always get bored of a game like when it's long when it's like more than 10 hours or something I just get bored but I think I crossed the 11 hour mark today so I'm yeah. just over that and I remember I was like kind of getting bored near the end and then when I got to the end I was like what I was like <laughs> what is happening I was like this this isn't what I thought was gonna happen right and it's just like it's awesome like I love when developers will make like a strong choice like that it's really cool I like when, like, any storytelling medium takes a really right. strong choice, and they don't try to, like, play the play every card or, like, try to yeah. make it a happy ending. Like, uh, that's what I really liked about Rogue One when that came out. Oh, yeah. They yeah, actually, like, they went the whole way. They didn't look for an out. They're like, this is what's... We're telling you this is how it happens, and that's exactly how it happened. Uh, I, yeah, I really like that, too. Just anything that takes you where you don't expect to go yeah and but i think the last of us does it like exceptionally well like even better than rogue one in my opinion i'm excited for it like i'm gonna keep playing it and um 
it, it still has captured my interest like crazy. That makes me excited about the second one because I'm like, you know, like what's Ellie gonna do? Like, yeah, like does she know? You know, does she know what he did or like? They should address that. I don't know if they will address it, but I think it'd be a pretty well, I'm, big. I'm sure they will, but those are just questions that I'm like wondering as a player. Like, whoa, you know, what's she thinking? Like, what is he feeling? Does he feel guilty? Like, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a very human-like story, which is why I like those settings too, because it is a story between two people. It's not a story about the clickers or the end of the world. It's like a very two-person story. Yeah, that's just a framing Mm -hmm. of the story between them, really. Right, exactly. Cool. Well, you said you wanted to talk about an interesting thing that we have uh, (laughs) recently discovered or found helpful, so this would be the place to talk about it. I thought it might be fun to, like... I was kind of liking podcasts where at least for, like, a few minutes, you know, they'll just be people talking about something going on um yeah outside of whatever the topic of the podcast is let's do it i'm i'm game thing i wanted to say that's been helping me a lot recently uh, it's called intermittent fasting okay um you've heard of that right i have heard of that but for the audience intermittent fasting means that you um you'll eat for like a designated time window and the most common window is a time period of 8 to 12 hours. I do a 6-hour window. The changes have been pretty astounding to me. I don't need as much sleep, which is something I've always wanted. I don't have to think about food most of the time. Because if you think about, like, how much time are you thinking about food? You know, if you're, like, eating stuff throughout the day, like, oh, what am I going to eat? Am I hungry? Do I want a snack? It's like, no, you don't have to think about any of that. It takes a lot of time out of your day eating and yeah, and you're like interrupting what you're doing because you gotta like eat. <laughs> so like it simplifies your life. It causes you to not snack. Since I made my window really small, I actually made my window smaller than like I said the average. Like most people do, an eight to twelve. Like that's my eating time. And sometimes it's an even smaller window. Like if I'm because I eat at night, and then mm-hmm. if I'm out at night. And then I get home after. Like, I have an even smaller window to eat. And at first, I found that kind of... I found it a little bit stressful to try to, like, jam food into me. I was like... I was always telling Iggy, my wife, like, Ugh, I got to jam some more food in before my, <laughs> before my window ends. Um, but I'm totally used to it now. And your body just, like, completely adapts to it. They say that this is actually a more natural way to eat, that this is... Uh, probably how like hunter gatherers ate because you know you're like running around looking for food for most of the day and then you get your food and you just like eat it and then you go to sleep it's just really helped me it also makes working out way easier because i used to always get stressed about like oh man should i eat like right should i eat before i work out should i eat like a little snack should i eat after i work out like what if i'm hungry or like Will I have enough, like, energy? Sure. This makes your workouts, like, so easy. Like, I I have so much more endurance than I used to. Like, today I just ran two miles, and I don't even, like, train. I don't know. It's like your body feels like it's lighter or something, and it just works better. Yeah, I mean, when I work out, um, I I don't eat beforehand because it stresses me out to know that, like, food's in there. So, like, I'm I'm a distance runner, so... 
like before long races, I won't eat anything or I'll eat something extremely light, like uh, like a banana and that's it. Yeah. Because like that food just sitting there, one, you got to carry that around. And two, your body is digesting that while you're in motion. So it takes a lot of energy to digest. Yeah. So having that like you don't know what's going to happen. Got to stop off, use the bathroom. Like it's a whole thing. I feel that definitely helps with working out just like light food or no food before that. Yeah. Just like before I heard about it, like I always heard about changing what you eat, but I never heard about changing when you eat. And I just like didn't know that that could make such a huge difference. Like I still eat the same amount, but it's just all like compressed into a small amount of time. And I don't know. I love it. That's cool. I'm glad that, you know, you found something that works for you. Yeah, I also started losing weight. I guess the way digestion works or whatever, like since your body's not interrupted, it like has more time to, I don't know, clean itself out or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been going to the gym more, but that's because of the the fasting. Like I just, I just have more energy when I wake up and I just like want to run around. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. People should uh, give it a try. Um, I've definitely changed my diet recently, not necessarily like the window, like our, our intermittent fasting, but I, I have definitely changed what I eat um, in terms of like cutting out a lot of sugar stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't eat any sugar anymore. Stuff that I didn't even realize that was so sugary, I, I end up looking and, and changing that. And Yeah, it's in everything. It is in everything. And uh, it's really helped in terms of like, my meal choice the re- the way i mitigate what i eat is i just don't buy it like if i don't buy it like it's hard for me to do that's how i got like over like late night snacking is like i don't have anything that is really appropriate for a late night snack it's just like i just have things that i would make into a meal so i end up just not eating it you can't do that though if you live with another person i'm sure that that is far different i'll just give them a cabinet or i'll have my cabinet and they can have just lock it. Like, I don't want to have access to it. I'd always tell Iggy, like, I was like, if you're going to buy that, like, you need to hide that for me. <laughs> and then she would keep changing the hiding spot. But sometimes I would find it. And I also gave up sugar, like, probably about, like, two weeks before I started the fasting. So I'm sure that also. Oh, I'm sure that that has, has helped. Once your cravings go away, like, have your sugar cravings gone away? Yeah, I don't really. Um, I was never a big sugar eater, I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. It just ended up being in a lot of places. So um, I ended up just removing stuff that could relate to it. And it's not no. I I don't eat no sugar. It's just like I've removed a lot of it. After I stopped eating it, I like realized that I was addicted to it. But I didn't know that I was. Because like I would always want to eat cookies. Like whenever Iggy's at the store, I'm like, you need need to buy me cookies. (laughs) But yeah, once I stopped eating sugar, I was like, I don't need cookies. Like I don't, I don't have any desire to eat them. I, I'm like a firm believer of the like release valve sort of thing. So uh, if I do get a craving, I'm not gonna sit there and like force myself to to not eat it. Like if it's really bad, I'll go get something just so like I don't end up failing overall. So if I, you know, my one of my favorite dessert is, and it's gonna be stupid. It's okay jelly beans and black coffee like i drink black coffee all the time okay that's really weird (laughs) well it's it's the it's the pairing of like jelly beans are like pure sugar and like black coffee is like a a bitter tasting drink so like that pairing i really like i like dichotomy tastes you know sort of thing 
Interesting. Yeah, so I will go get some jelly beans if I'm feeling a sugar, like if I need to get something super sweet. Why don't you grind up the jelly beans and put them in your coffee? That would be even better. I don't know why I didn't think about that. I'll have to buy a new grinder for sure. It'll it'll be all gooey. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like just giving yourself a break, especially when you make changes or like there are things like everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes, so don't. Here's the thing, though. Like, if you want those jelly beans, but you're not and you're like, I'm talking about if you're doing intermittent fasting, you want those jelly beans, but you're not in your eating window. You just like won't care because like your body has adjusted to not eating during that time sure like all my cravings are gone but what if you want jelly beans in your eating window the thing that's different is like since you're eating in a small amount of time like i kind of have to plan my eating ahead of time and i just like wouldn't plan to put like jelly beans (laughs) well it's not like i'm planning (laughs) (laughs) these things (laughs) yeah but like i'm just saying like if you're doing it this way, like you have to think ahead because you don't want to be hungry. And if you don't plan ahead, you're going to be hungry the next day. It changed for me. And I like I used to snack a lot. And like I said, I used to eat cookies all the time. But the eating is so planned that like you don't have time for jelly beans. I also think that like the from what you're saying, like it's hard to do that on a like unless you set your own schedule. Like, it'd be hard to do it. Like, if you have a very, a variable schedule, like, it'd be hard to, to be able to plan, like, this is my eating window. Yeah, Iggy wants to do it, but her schedule makes it too hard. Yeah. Yeah, people would just generally have a a larger window than, like, a 12-hour window. Because even a 12-hour window will make a big difference. Hey, if it works, that's great. I'm glad to hear that, you know, you have more energy. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, interesting thing that I have found helpful. It's not super recently, but ever since the beginning of the year, um, I used to be very militant about how I, uh, manage my time. Um, so I'd block it off and, and put it in my calendar and I would just do what was in my calendar and not anything that was outside it. Uh, cause that's, just too packed up to be able to do that. And after I graduated from school, I kind of got away from that and, and let that lax. And so I've been going back to that just because I have a lot of uh, self-imposed responsibilities as well as um, responsibilities that people are relying on me for and work. Being able to schedule that better has really helped in productivity uh, for getting a lot of stuff done. I feel like uh, demonstrably so, like I have a lot more to show for it. Um, I've also gone back to like a simple list structure of what I need to get done so before I had like tried to use Trello and like do like Kanban cards and all that other stuff. And it got to the point where I was spending too much time managing that and not getting anything done. Yeah, I've been there. So I, I, I use a program called Remember the Milk. You can use anything, um, but just like a simple to-do structure. And then for larger projects, I kind of just feed in there and then I'll move them up when I need to. But the simpler, the better, because it's something I will always check. And, and know where I am on certain things. So uh, I found those two things, which had worked for me in the past, so they're not exactly new, um, is helping me now. Yeah, sorry, did you say you started blocking your time or you stopped? I, st- like, I stopped after I graduated from college because uh, I didn't really need to. I kind of, once I was in college, I had so much to do all the time that I kind of burned myself out. Like I was, I really went too hard 
for too long. And so when I when I got that release of like I didn't have to always be working, I let myself slip and I got away from doing that at all. Uh, and of this year, I've gone back to uh, like if it's in my calendar. I'm going to do it if, during that time. I have it blocked off. That's all I'm doing. It takes some willpower. It does. Um, but I think it definitely helps. Like I don't feel like I feel antsy even relaxing like that's just the person i am like i have a hard time like sitting down and being like oh i'm just gonna sit and do this for a little bit i um i always feel like i i know i have stuff to do and it's hard for me to get it out of my head um so having that helps alleviate the anxiety that i would have from having to be able to do something so you feel less anxious because you kind of like know what your time is designated for yeah exactly um I know like this is what I'm doing at this time and I've made progress on it because I put two hours into it or three hours into it. Yeah, I've tried that, but it hasn't really worked out for me. I, I kind of just like know what I'm going to do the next day. And uh, unless there's like appointments or something, I don't really like uh, schedule too far ahead uh, just because you never really know how you're going to feel. My main goal is just mainly get as much work done as possible. And then I just kind of try to fit everything else in between. Yeah. I, I like over commit myself to a lot of stuff. So if I don't have that blocking schedule, I end up forgetting or not doing it that I promised something, somebody that I would do it for them. The feeling thing is definitely hard to overcome. I have to put that aside. Like, even if I don't feel like doing it, like doing it anyway, like getting into that mode uh, is like a force like I, I don't know like how else to say it like there are plenty of times when I feel like I don't want to do that or I don't have the energy to do that but I got to do it anyway so I just just do it and then you usually feel good after like having it done like it does feel good and, and you do end up getting into the the mode of doing it after a while like ah oh, man I don't want to do this thing and then you do a little bit and you start to get into the zone of doing it and then it's like it feels good after that yeah, that's how working out is, too. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that's why it's so hard to work out at home. Like, I always feel at least. I almost never do. I tried for a while, and then I just, like, gave up. Because, like, once you're at the gym, it's like, you know, that's why I'm here. <laughs> it's why you're there. There's other people working out around you. I recommend if you think that you want to work out uh, and you want to get into, like, a more fit shape, go to the gym and do that. Um I will tell you this, nobody cares what you are doing at the gym. Like, you're going to think that, oh, people are looking at me, though. What if I do it wrong or I'm, I'm too large or I don't care? Everybody's focused on themselves. They do not care what you're doing. I promise you, as a fellow person that goes to the gym, I'm not paying attention to anybody else. I'm paying attention to what someone's doing. If they're sitting on, like, a machine or something that I want to use and they're just on their phone. Okay, yeah. Then I'm paying attention. To yeah, that. that's a little bit different. Don't hog the <laughs> machines. Sure. So annoying. Yes, it happens a lot. Yeah, way too much. It does. Yeah, but I, I agree. I when I run, I run outdoors. Like I don't, I don't like to run indoors. Um, if I can help it, I hate the treadmill. Me too. My gym has a a track. It's awesome. I do go on the track if it's below zero. If it's above zero, I'm outside. No, because... my, no, it has a track inside. No, I know. I'm saying like oh, the gym okay. I go to also has an indoor track. Oh, sweet. Like I do a lot of distance generally when I run, and I don't like to sit there on the track. 
and it's like it's a constant like the same thing i'm seeing all the time so like it'll be like 50 laps so it'll be like really boring i mean do you like listen to stuff while you're running or yeah yeah um i i listen to audiobooks and podcasts like all the all the time pod save america pod save america i listen to that <laughs> i have far too many podcasts to yeah. actually um like i should i should call some of them but i don't you should call them what do you mean C- call see like get rid of oh them. oh that kind of calling like occlusion calling correct correct not not c-a-l-l <laughs> yeah i thought you were saying you're gonna call them like to be on their <laughs> podcast uh no i have my own podcast now you do, like, why do I need- yeah why do i need that <laughs> But yeah, so like that's like I I just cannot get bored on the track if if it's too long. But if it's too cold out, um, I will do it as a last resort. I usually got a lot on my mind, and I'm trying to run from my problems. <laughs> uh, that's no, I I I know you're kind of like joking, but that is yeah, no, I am being serious though. It's meditation. Yeah, like today I was so stressed out. I just like ran. I just kept running. And then I go on the sauna. You, do you use the sauna? I don't. It's the best. You, sh- you should do it. After I'm working out, uh, like I'm scheduling that within the inch of its life. So I don't have, like I'll take a shower and leave. Like I don't it's, have a lot of. It's very good for your mind, especially um, for like getting endorphins and stuff. It'll really increase kind of like your mental well-being for the rest of the day. And that's why I do it. Like you feel like you're not doing anything because you're just sitting there. But I'm telling you. It's worth it. I definitely trust you. I just generally don't have a lot of time to do that. Like I, well, my workouts generally are like, like an hour long if I'm lifting, longer if I'm running. I do shorter than that. I, I'll, I'll try to go before work just because it's easier and there's less people. So by the time I'm already doing that, there's not a lot of extra there. But I, I'm not against it. I, I'm sure I would enjoy it. Yeah, especially if you're going through a difficult time. You'd be amazed at how just sitting in a hot room will, will kind of help your mind to calm down. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that we've been going for a while, so I think this is probably a good good stopping point. Um, at least what I'm hoping to get out of this for the, the next episode, if we want to do a next episode, is just more regular updates about where you are at, where what you're working on, um, general like us life things. Maybe if anybody has any comments or or criticisms where they want to see it go, we can look at those too. And and yeah. Well, I mean, if it's a podcast, I would hope that we're doing more than one episode. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe you'll go back and listen to this. And be like, no, this isn't working. I'm burning this to the ground. Well, I've been listening to it while we're recording, and it seems pretty good so yeah yeah i think we can make improvements as always we can always make it better but uh i think it's been good um hopefully we'll see you next time on this yet to be named podcast yeah we used to have a podcast called exploding rabbit adventures this can be called that or or just exploding rabbit podcast yes we should call it exactly what it is we'll figure it out yeah (laughs) cool well until next time Yeah, see you guys later. This was a lot of fun. It was. See you guys later.